I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the recent exposure of the IRS's struggle to properly vet organizations applying for tax-exempt status. In July 2022, the New York Times ran a story about a single individual who managed to get 76 fake charities approved by the IRS. In today's episode, we outline the history of the IRS's tax-exempt approval process and recent calls for more scrutiny over organizations applying for tax-exempt status. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. So I'm excited about today's episode first because we're together in person. Which is always awesome. Um, so also excited about today's episode because it is going to be full of TV references. Oh, no. But you're going to be excited about today's episode because none of them come from teen dramas or daytime soaps. Wow. Really? Promise. Okay. One question, though. Mm-hmm. Is today's episode maybe going to be even a little bit about taxes? It is. Wow. Okay. I'm in. All right. So today we're talking about fake charities, mm-hmm. which is, it turns out, a tried and true TV trope and a recent scandal, or I guess we could say controversy, uh, added to the long and seemingly growing list of IRS scandals or controversies. Mm. Um, so we're going to discuss two things today. First, we're going to talk about the tax benefits of being a charity, or in other words, why would anybody even bother to establish a fake charity in the first place? Okay. Second, we're going to outline the history of the IRS's application process for charities and how it is allowing fake charities to be approved. Mm. So please kick it off for us with, are you ready for it? I'm ready. A brief discussion of your favorite fake TV charity. Well, that's easy. Okay. I mean, I think you know this based Um, on- Yes, I'm going to guess. Recent episodes. Human Fund. Yes. Okay. Let me hear about it because I don't actually know the context of the human fund. Okay, so we're talking Seinfeld here. Mm-hmm. Yep. George Costanza claimed to donate money to a charity mm-hmm. that he made up. And he would hand out these cards to his coworkers saying that he donated his gift to them ah. was that he donated to this fake charity and was all to get out of giving holiday gifts to his coworkers. Um, so I can see how having uh, setting up a fake charity so that you don't have to buy Christmas gifts for your coworkers. That's a good reason. Mm-hmm. to start a fake charity, uh, but it's probably not the best reason. So as listeners may recall from a few episodes back, not every entity or organization in the U.S. is subject to income tax. Organizations can apply for tax-exempt status, which means, shocker, that they're not going to have to pay income tax. Mm-hmm. That also means that these organizations basically get to make money tax-free. Yeah. So whereas a for-profit organization in theory has to give 21 cents of every dollar they make to Uncle Sam, a not-for-profit or tax-exempt organization gets to keep that entire dollar. And that's a nice thing Mm because they can use that entire dollar to further their charitable mission. Yes. That sounds like a deal. It is, which means that not any old organization can be tax exempt. No, there is an application process and you have to meet some qualifications to even be able to file the application in the first place. So to be tax exempt, and because we're nerds, I have to tell you that it's under code section 501c3. PO. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh Uh-huh. So that's the tax section that governs charitable organizations. So an entity has to be, quote, organized and operated exclusively for exempt purposes 
and none of its profits can inure to the benefit of any private shareholder or individual. Inure is a word that's not used enough, I think. It is not, and it's one of those that when you Google, you don't really get a satisfying definition. Okay. But basically, it's a fancy way of saying that the profits that this entity or organization generates can't go to a private interest, like a single person. So, for example, for our 30 Rock listeners, you might remember the Kidney Now benefit. Ah, uh, that would not qualify as a charity because the proceeds of that benefit, which was a kidney, mm-hmm. uh, were going to benefit one single individual, Milton Green. All right. So that all makes sense because we often think of 501c3 organizations as public charities. Yep. That is, their primary objective is to obtain funding from the public mm-hmm. and directly operate charitable programs. But it's worth pointing out that 501c3s can also be private foundations, Mm -hmm. meaning they obtain the majority of their funding typically from a really wealthy private family. And that family tends to maintain control over the organization. And it doesn't actually operate its own charitable programs. It figures out who to give money to so that those groups can operate charitable programs. Kind of like an intermediary. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about those other requirements of 501c3s. So an entity has to be organized as a corporation, a trust, or an unincorporated association. And what that means is that an individual person or a partnership cannot be a 501c3 organization. Okay. The entity also must have organizing documents, so legal documents that do three things. Number one, limit the entity's purpose to those that are allowed by law. Mm-hmm. Number two, don't expressly permit activities that don't further the entity's exempt purpose. Makes sense. And three, the entity has to permanently dedicate its assets to those exempt purposes. Okay, that last requirement makes sense too because it ensures the entity can't just start up you know, with a tax exempt mm-hmm. purpose, fundraise a bunch of money, and then go dedicate that in the future for a non-exempt purpose. All right, so next, the organization must be operated exclusively for exempt purposes. So Lisa, what is in when it comes to exempt purposes? So activities or purposes that are in include charitable, educational, religious, scientific, and literary activities, as well as those dedicated to fostering national or international sports competitions, preventing cruelty to children or animals, and testing for public safety. All right, so that's a long list. It is, but these are all good things. They are. Um, so back to 30 Rock, because that's where I, my mind always goes. There was another episode where Jack's brother, who was played expertly by Nathan Lane, yes. shows up and collects money for a fake charity, which he called the Chicago All Saints Hospital. So question to you, was that a good fake charity? Because in that list, you didn't specifically say hospitals. So are hospitals charities? Oh, that's a good question. And I think the answer depends. Mm-hmm. So hospitals are sort of an interesting example because they can either be for-profit or not-for-profit. Okay, so uh, he chose the Chicago All Saints Hospital because it creates an acronym for cash. Ah, uh, yes. And to all of our listeners under the age of, I don't know, 35, there used to be these things that you used called checks. Ah, yeah. And if you wrote a check out to cash, Uh you could just go and turn it in to cash. And cash is this thing that's like these bills, these paper tangible bills that you use to pay for things and they're not on your phone. Yes. Okay. What is out in terms of tax exempt activities? Ah, yes. Okay. So things that you absolutely cannot do. No political campaigning. Mm Mm-hmm. So you could do some lobbying, but it has to be insubstantial. Okay. And 
Shocker. The NRD can't do anything illegal. Uh, well, I'm glad that Congress threw that one in there for good measure. <laughs> Me too. But as we'll discuss uh, in the next part of this episode, even though the organization can't do anything illegal, there's nothing to prevent somebody with a criminal record, even a record for fraud, from creating an organization that seeks tax-exempt status. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So obviously generating income tax-free is a pretty substantial reason why an organization would wanna be tax exempt. Yeah. What else you got? Okay, um, so donors are probably more willing to give money to organizations that have tax exempt status with the IRS because that means that those donations then are tax deductible to the mm -hmm, donor. Mm -hmm. So they get a nice tax benefit yep. for it. 2022, individuals can deduct cash contributions to public charities up to 60% of their adjusted gross income. Mm -hmm. And corporations can deduct up to 10% of their modified taxable income, but only if the organization is tax exempt. And I'm thinking that that could be one of the reasons that in Arrested Development, the Bluth family felt compelled to have some kind of charity cause at the center of their annual fundraiser gala. Okay. Uh, even if it was a fake charity. Uh-huh. So they named it a TBA. Okay. And they did this two years in a row. And it was the second year they showed a video of the grandson, George Michael, who I guess was supposed to be suffering from TBA. And the okay. symptoms were him with a fake lightsaber in his garage, like enacting out some Star Wars scene. So, so already we've uh, come up with three separate TV shows with fake charity plot lines. It's impressive. And Seinfeld had another plot line where Jerry was audited by the IRS for donating to a fake charity, the Krakatoa Relief Fund. Love that. Uh, and going back to Arrested Development, maybe also held a fundraiser for her alter ego who was suffering from BS. <laughs> that sounds about right. And I stayed away from the fake charities on uh, the OC. So I'm impressed. We're, we're doing You're growing good. as a person. Uh, so I guess it turns out that this fake charity thing is a real TV trope. It is. Now that we've outlined the benefits of being a 501c3 organization and how to qualify, let's talk a bit about the application process. What can you tell us? Well, I love that. And uh, to do that, as we often do here on the pod, uh, we're gonna hop in our time machines. Ooh. Fortunately, this time we don't have to go back too far, just to 2013, which coincidentally is the year that you and I became doctors. Aw, if only we were the kind of doctors that actually helped people. Are there, <laughs> do those exist? Um, I'm thinking like medical doctors. Yeah, I know. Sidebar, living, uh -huh. living in a state that doesn't have uh, great medical doctors. But yes, help people more than we do. Let's say that. No, uh, whatever. All right. 2013 was also the year the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration released a report that confirmed the IRS had used inappropriate criteria to evaluate organizations with Tea Party in their names that were applying for tax-exempt status as social welfare organizations under 501c4. Ah, yes, the C4s. And as you might recall, the C4s are a type of organization we talked about in our season of giving episodes on estates and gifts. Mm -hmm. So quick recap there. They're similar to 501c3s, except that donations to them are not tax deductible and they can engage in political activities so long as that's not their, quote, primary activity. This scandal in 2013, in addition to subjecting these uh, conservative organizations to heightened scrutiny, the IRS was also found to have subjected them to delays in processing their applications. And it was those delays in evaluating 501c4 applications that paved the way for the latest scandal around 501c3 applications. 
this is this is salacious. It I, about as uh, juicy as it gets when it comes to taxes. Do go on. So after the Tea Party scandal, the IRS began letting some organizations apply for tax exempt status using what is called Form Ten Twenty Three. Easy, and it's a capital E and a capital Z. I love it when the IRS does that. Because it's classy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before that, all organizations had to use plain old form 1023. But now, basically, any organization that's small with projected annual gross receipts of less than 50,000 for the next three years and assets less than a quarter million can apply for tax-exempt status using this easy form. And trust us when we say it is easy. Yeah. So the regular form is 26 pages long. That is not trivial. The easy form is basically just two pages long. Uh Uh-huh. A little bit of a difference. Yeah. The regular form requires entities to submit their organizing documents. Which we said were important. Yes. The easy form requires entities to attest rather than to demonstrate that they meet the requirements for 501c3 status. So So, they just have to cross their heart and promise. Yeah. The application fee is less for an easy. It's only $275 compared to $600 for the regular form. And the entity is required to provide only a brief description of its mission, not to exceed 250 words. All right. So to be fair, I'm all about efficiency. Yeah. So this sounds good in theory. Yeah. From 2018 to 2020, the average number of days to process these easy forms was only about 28. And that compared to over 150 days for the regular form. It's a big difference. And we have complained and complained a lot about how the IRS is underfunded and understaffed. So help me understand what's the problem with letting them speedily review this shorter form. Fair enough. Okay. Um, One problem. Mm Mm-hmm is that according to that same report, the shorter form doesn't provide the IRS with enough information to accurately review the application. So I'm all for speed, but let's also have some accuracy. Okay, you're being a little demanding here. I've been hanging out with you for two days. Hanging out with me for 13 years. (laughs) Yes. How bad is it? Um, I'd say a lot to very bad. All right. In 2018, the IRS hired a research firm to evaluate the 1023-EASY process, and the firm concluded that applications that were randomly held aside for more rigorous review had a much lower approval rate Mm. and a higher denial rate than those that went through the standard review. Okay. So that finding suggests that the standard approval process isn't working very well. No. The Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration even went undercover, which I love, like that just creates this amazing visual. Yes. Yeah, in my mind. I've got like a Mm -hmm. Carmen Sandiego visual (laughs) happening. Okay, we have very different mind's eyes, but whatever. Um, So they went undercover and created five fake organizations that they then, uh, you know, submitted applications for, for tax exempt status. The IRS approved four of them. Well, that's not a great rate. No, it's not. No. Also, do I do love the fact because the Treasury Inspector General like oversees the IRS, and you've got yes. your boss going undercover. undercover. It's undercover boss. It's, How was that <gasps> not an episode of the show? <laughs> because nobody would watch it. <laughs> okay, so yes, agreed. That's bad. Okay. Uh, and in July 2022, the New York Times reported that one man, and this goes back to what we said earlier, yeah. who previously pled guilty to federal charges of fraud and money laundering, mm-hmm. two characteristics you want in someone running your charitable <laughs> organization, and he was eventually barred from acting as a stockbroker. Sure. Mm-hmm. He got the IRS to approve 76 fake nonprofit organizations. 76? 76. 76. 
76 trombones, 76 fake tax-exempt organizations. Holy moly. 17 of his applications were for groups that had American Cancer Society in the name, like American Cancer Society of Michigan, of Green Bay, of Cleveland. Fine, but here's the kicker. All of those organizations listed the same mailing address in Staten Island. (laughs) Okay, the American Cancer Society caught wind of this scam and notified the IRS in 2018, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Uh, Officials from the organization said they never heard back from the IRS. And the service subsequently approved four additional applications Mm -hmm. submitted by the same person Mm -hmm. using the same mailing address that included American Cancer Society in the name. Whoops. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yes. I just don't have anything to say. It's not a good look. Nope. And here's how bad it is. Wait, there's more? So there's more. So once you get your fake charity approved. (laughs) Sure. um, You don't even have to work that hard to get donations. Ah. So I didn't realize this, but the IRS maintains a list of all charitable organizations that it has approved. Okay. And several online giving platforms use that list to allow donors to choose organizations they want to donate to. The chief executive of um, an organization called the Charities Aid Foundation of America said, we need to be able to trust this Mm -hmm. list that the IRS gives us. Mm -hmm. And that means that the IRS has to collect sufficient data through the application process to be able to determine whether the charity is legit or not. All right, so we have long been apologists for the IRS. We've long defended them. Yes. And this is where I run out of steam a little bit. Oh my gosh, yes. I sort of lose sympathy for the very under-resourced, very overworked IRS. Nonetheless, Mm As this story broke, many were very quick to blame the easy form and argue that it doesn't contain enough data for the IRS to appropriately vet charities. Okay. Fair arguments. Totally fair. But I'm going to say they're crap. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm willing to bet the IRS could make better use of the information it currently has. All right. I'm going to need you to say more words because I thought more information for better decisions sounded pretty good. Exhibit A. Okay. Oh, no. She's getting legal. Is it really logical that the American Cancer Society of Michigan would have a mailing address in Staten Island? No, it's also not logical that the charities in Michigan, Green Bay, and Cleveland would have the same mailing address. You can go to the IRS website. You and I can go there, which we do regularly. We do. (laughs) Any of you listeners out there, you can go and download an Excel file that has all the easy forms that were approved during that year. This is the point. Anybody with basic Excel skills could easily search that file for repeat names, repeat mailing addresses, and do a little follow-up. And listeners, this is actually quite amusing. And so you can go to this website and there was one uh, organization that was approved. It was uh, the Altus Foundation of Scottsdale, Arizona. And do you know what they listed for their exempt purpose? I cannot wait for you to tell me. Need to fill in. (laughs) Okay. They literally made a placeholder for themselves. I need to fill this in. And they never Never did did it. And nonetheless, the IRS approved their application. Yikes. Um, Another one listed combating the spread of pornography. Okay. So my question for you is, would that be a scientific cause, an educational, literate? What what bucket of approved uh, activity does banning porn fall into? I can't explain it, but I'd know it if I saw it. Love it. And so my follow-up question is, do I get to start a charity that bans country music? (laughs) What? Because that's that's my bugaboo. You are banned from Texas, lady. (laughs) Yes. There's more that the IRS could do, right? So if they started to cross-reference these applications with other IRS databases. Oh, now you're getting insane. I know. But the IRS has a lot of information. We we could do some matching. Mm -hmm. 
Is it reasonable to think that a charity associated with the American Cancer Society would expect to raise only $50,000 a year when the actual mm -hmm. American Cancer Society raised over $650 million in 2021, information that the IRS had. Yes, you're right. Yes, okay, fine. So now I'm just gonna get crazy. I think you've already done that, but go ahead. Imagine what might happen if the IRS could reference other federal databases. I mean, just stop. It might have done a little more digging upon hearing that this man who was applying for 76 tax exempt organizations had previously pled guilty to federal fraud. Uh, also on one of his applications, you have to list the directors of the organization. Uh, one of the directors he listed was dead at the time. Oh my gosh. And one of them apparently had a fake address somewhere in Brooklyn. Again, things that, and I'm not even gonna say this with a straight face, because it would never happen, but if our federal organizations talked to each other mm, yes. and shared information, yes. this is something that could be a red flag. And to be clear, we're not saying that someone who has a shady past can't reform right. themselves and have a charity, but at least it would be worth a little extra follow-up. If you're gonna approve 76 of them. Yes. So it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm going to be honest, I've been on a streak. Yeah. And that streak is over. Okay. Because the only good thing I have to say here is that we talked a lot about TV. I did enjoy that. Yes. Um, but I have to agree with you. There's not a whole lot else good about this episode. Yeah, this one's a hard one to uh, grab something good out of. Okay, let me put on my thinking cap here. Um, all right. All right. Okay. There are good reasons to provide tax benefits to organizations that are improving or attempting to improve social welfare. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's a need in society to incentivize that type of behavior. Yep. And I think tax policy is a very reasonable way of doing it. Okay, that's fair. Absolutely valid reasons for providing tax benefits to these types of corporations and having the IRS be the one to oversee it. Fine. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Fine. I know that hurt a little it bit. It did. Okay, we're gonna move on to the bad. Mm -hmm your happy place. Um, and the bad is what I've already said that like, as a staunch defender of the mm -hmm. IRS, it's just, it's a little hard for me to defend them in this particular situation. Yes, they're underfunded. Yes, they lack technology. Yes, they have too much to do, but come on. So I totally agree. And we're gonna throw another TV reference out there for our Simpsons fans. Okay. It's an old school episode. Part of the episode is there's this Japanese commercial for a product called Mr. Sparkle. Okay. And I think one of the taglines in the commercial is, could you do any less? <laughs> could you be any more useless in this yeah. situation? And that's pretty much, like you approved a charity that said need to fill in. Like, could you do any less? Yeah. And Moving on to the ugly, mm -hmm. our favorite target of ugly, mm -hmm. Congress. This group of supposed grown-ups <laughs> who are an integral part of the, I'm just gonna call it a three-headed monster mm -hmm. that supposedly governs our country, they're not doing the IRS or taxpayers any favors. Um, I totally agree. So I think that reasonable people can disagree about the appropriate extent of IRS funding and intervention. Yeah. And I'll gladly sit down and have an informed debate about that topic. Yeah. But I'm getting a little annoyed with this repetitive and patently false talking point that funding the IRS will only increase audits of middle-class Americans and small businesses. Don't even get me started. No, I do, I wanna get you started. The IRS does so much for this country. Yeah. It, it does not just audit taxpayers, and that's a fact. 
during COVID, a bunch of people got checks administered to them by the IRS. And a lot of those people were not even filers. Right. So the IRS didn't have their information. They had to set up an entire program to facilitate the gathering of information so that they could pay you money. Mm -hmm. So relevant to today's episode, they single-handedly monitor charities in the US. And does anybody really wanna see people able to so easily create fake charities, dupe honest taxpayers who are trying to contribute to society and steal federal tax revenues? No. Come on. No. Fine. To the Republican politicians who are saying we don't want any more audits of middle class taxpayers and small business owners. Yes, I agree. So has Janet Yellen. She has put this in writing and said to the commissioner of the IRS. So I'm not sure how we're still using this as a talking point. Me either. But could we please, please, pretty please give some money. Maybe you can just earmark it. You can say that the IRS has to spend it on doing things like monitoring charities and other stuff that I think all taxpayers could agree are priorities, like stopping fake charities. So I know there are those out there who will also criticize us for saying that the IRS isn't doing a good job with the resources it has already, and then saying that we should give it more resources. But as we've said before, the IRS is consistently one of the most efficient tax authorities among economically developed countries. So yes, I'm back in a position of defending them. Let them do what they do. Agreed. And the other thing too is like, we could also give them money with oversight. We could give them money and say what the money has to be spent on. We could give them money and guide them on how to spend the money. So I don't think you and I are saying just give them money and let them go rogue and continue to be inefficient and do things, you know, the wrong way. This is a ridiculous example this fake charity situation, but not giving them more money is not gonna solve the problem. Agreed. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.